Welcome to Cowan Insights, a space that brings leading thinkers together to share insights and ideas shaping the world around us. Join us as we converse with the top minds who are influencing our global sectors. Hello, everyone. I'm Larry Wiesenek, co-head of Global Investment Banking at TD Securities, and welcome to our podcast. As always, I'm here with my good friend and former colleague, David Erickson, senior fellow at the Wharton Business School. And today we're going to discuss the implications of the recent market volatility, which has culminated with the failures of Signature Bank, SVB, and most recently the acquisition of Credit Suisse by UBS. This is our first podcast since the close of the acquisition of Cowan by TD Bank. So we'll also be touching on that. So David, let me turn it over to you. Thanks, Larry. So let's start with really the market turbulence that we've seen really the last 10 days or so. It obviously has awakened some memories, I assume, for both of us during the financial crisis. How do you see the events of this past week or so impacting the markets in the near term? The challenges that emanate whenever you see events that feel to the market, at least, as if they came from uh, like a lightning bolt from left field are hard to quantify. Let's start with the reality is many of these were the long term in the making. You know, whether we talk about Credit Suisse and a series of events over the last decade or more that uh, highlighted some challenges with their particular business model, risk, et cetera, whether we talk about SVB, that because of the significant growth in their client base and therefore the deposits that they, that, that occurred, and then that changing significantly when we began a new interest rate regime and rates rose. In both cases, there were elements of this that were um, apparent for two, three, four, five years. But for the market, it went from it being okay to no longer working almost overnight. When those kind of things occur, the one thing that is clearly common, because it's a very different set of facts than maybe what created the global financial crisis. But what is common is the reaction is a significant um, change in liquidity. And, and, and that reduction in liquidity across almost all areas of the market is something that we expected as soon as we saw the challenges at SVB. And it's what we've seen now over the last 10 days or so, where all the markets, well, the best way to say, they're not deep, they're very shallow. And that's true both in terms of the secondary market, and then it rolls into primary, where we have a very, very quiet environment, because with this kind of volatility, and more importantly, with this much uncertainty in both the banking sector and then therefore the economy, it makes it hard for deals to get done. So given that view, what's your current advice to CEOs and CFOs of TD Cowan clients? I mean, obviously that advice is probably different for an early stage company that is not cash flow positive versus a more mature company. But what are the two or three things that make sense for all of them to do to, in today's environment? Maybe we'll break it up into just how they manage their their business and their balance sheet. And then we'll roll into kind of deal-making as a second piece. I think on the first one, it's really an extension of what we've discussed in our podcasts over the last, I'd even say three years, because it's very similar to what we talked about at, at the beginning of the pandemic 
Then when the environment got a little bit more ebullient, we reminded people. And then as it's gotten more challenging the last 12 months, we talked about it again, which is reminding folks that cash is king. At times when capital and is being thrown at companies, you want to make sure that you don't go spend it on frivolous activities. When capital becomes more dear, it becomes critical that you apply it in the right places. And that message is more true today than probably any time in the last three years. Making sure that every dollar that you, you have at your disposal is used in a way that is thoughtful and is strategic is, is I think, the most critical thing that companies can do. And so we, on our last podcast, we talked about haves and have-nots. Those are in a position where they have strong balance sheets, they've got cash on hand. If they need to tap into existing loans that they can pull down, et cetera, having that available for them so that when there's challenges in the market, like there are today, they're in the position to be able to be opportunistic. Um, and that could be just steady as you go, continue with your plan when some of your competitors, by definition, are distracted because they're not in a stronger position. For those that want to be a bit more aggressive, it might be buying assets from those who are in more challenged positions. This has definitely already been a market where we feel that fit and focus is important. One doesn't have to stray very far to look for business opportunities. A lot of the M&A dialogue we're having right now is about businesses going deeper in their space, buying a portfolio maybe from someone that's got three business lines who decides that in this environment, they should really only focus on two. So a better player in that third business line comes in, takes that asset off their hands. Both firms are stronger because of it. So we, we, we think in terms of fit and focus right now as being a very important theme. Um, stay true to your core. Don't take on new ancillary areas right now. I say that because often as bankers, we jump into the kinds of deals that people can do, right? Can you raise money here? Can you buy this business? It starts at home, right? Make sure the base is strong. Make sure you can compete in your, in your core and then decide what are things you can do around that. And so I would say that's the number one thing we're saying to everyone. And that's true whether it's a, you know, a growth company that has to worry about the fact that they can't raise their C round, whether it's a uh, you know, company that is significantly cash flowing um, but now all of a sudden, you know, the ability to borrow against those cash flows is more limited than it was before. In all those cases, it comes back to strategy and execution first, and then making sure you're financing or in the case of M&A, that your M&A ambitions are in service of the strategy. Yeah, that to me is kind of, you know, one, two, and three. The two lessons to reinforce those points, I guess the two lessons that that I use in our strategic equity finance class uh, to the students is one is raise money when you can, not when you have to, because sometimes when you have to, it, it may not be available or it's going to be very expensive. And the second is hope is not a strategy. And David, the hope is not a strategy, I think, is really important right now. One of the things that, again, in our mo one of our recent podcasts with Grant Miller, our head of capital markets, equity capital markets, we talked about where boards were and that oftentimes we found managements who understood the need to, if there was an opportunity to raise capital, let's say if it's a public company, 
Maybe it was through a pipe. Maybe it would be through an equity deal that would be at a significant discount. And what, what we were sensing was 12 months to 13, 15 months into what has been a repricing in the equity markets. The management teams had gotten comfortable with that, but not all of the boards had. I don't want to take the Lucian right now, et cetera. I think what that gets to is for a number of those folks, now there's no bid for a deal, right? And so it is really important that one is sober when they analyze the environment in a challenging you know, market like we're in now, which is what can you get done? Not what you want to get done, not what is ideal, but uh, if you need to fund your ambitions or even just fund the base plan, then you have to look around the market, determine what can get done, and then if it's critical, get it executed. So uh, back to your fit and focus uh, M&A uh, strategy uh, or example that you used earlier. One of the things that that I've observed is that there's a lot of dry powder in the private equity space. I think it's something like Bain has, I think, reported something like three point seven trillion dollars in the private equity space in terms of dry powder to deploy in the in various investments globally. When you talk about companies that had three subsidiaries and may go down to two, are you seeing more activity from the private equity firms, or are they um, as cautious as everybody else, or even more cautious? I would say it's a great question. Yeah, I, I think there might even be. More cautious. I think the um, <clears throat> there was an expectation at the beginning of the interest rate regime change. So and we'll just call interest rate regime change when the the Fed began to tighten again after a long, the very long period of easy money. That was correlated with again the equity market sold off a bit before it, but we'll just call that the the you know the beginning of the turn in the equity market for this purpose. I think there was a view that with the amount of private capital available, private equity would be basically the down bid, right? And would step in. And we've seen a lot less of that than just the um, amount of cash in the sidelines would suggest. And I think one of the reasons is that at the same time that we've experienced the uh, equity markets selling off and then um, you know, now this volatility most recently added to the equation again, we've been in a rising interest rate environment. And now we add to that a more constrained liquidity environment, certainly as it relates to the leveraged loan market. And it might even begin to extend into private credit. You know, we've seen private credit hold up pretty well, um, but the pricing is, is way wider than where it was before. So from a private equity standpoint, they too have to get comfortable with the new environment. You can't help but make analogies to the financial crisis. If you go back to the beginning of the rebuild of the private equity bid, which really took three to, I'd say three to six months before you started seeing you know, the, the breaking of the dam uh, post the, the events of September 08, those deals that came forward were being done at much, much higher equity checks on a relative basis and much lower debt checks in order for the deals to get done. And then as every six months go by, right, a little bit more debt available in the deals, 
a little bit more debt, a little more debt until we ultimately got to an environment that was pretty ebullient. And I do think that you have the same issue here, which is that um, because of the increased um, cost of financing, spreads widening, still working through leverage loans sitting um, on some banks' balance sheets, et cetera, we're going to see the deals that do get done have a slightly different dynamic than what would have been done 12 or 16 months ago. That's going to take time before it starts to grow in terms of number of deals. But I do think that's where the opportunities are. I think we will see private equity take up a greater share. And I think it'll be an interesting um, environment where it'll be private equity funds. We'll also though see, and this might be what we start to see, in areas where we anticipate seeing an uptick in workouts. Doesn't mean bankruptcies, but I do think we're going to see more businesses do some form of, you know, whether it be a prepack, whether it be a sale, because they, they're not sure they can get the financing done. So I think that we'll see the private equity funds that are agile around complex capital structures and are willing to basically come into distressed situations. That's likely to be a big opportunity um, if the market continues to, to be challenging, because there should be better return profiles there than in your standard, you know, private equity deal at the moment. So this is our first podcast since the TD Cowan deal closed. For those companies that have been longtime Cowan clients, what additional capabilities does this bring for them that you guys are offering that you couldn't do before or it expands what you could offer before? And similarly for longtime TD clients, what additional capabilities does this bring? So I think the best way to answer that is really to focus it on the U.S. market because in Canada, TD has been a full-service you know, corporate investment bank, at least TD Securities has, for a very long time. In the U.S. market, this really brings together two organizations that delivered against more limited plans based on where they were in their growth trajectory. So from the standpoint of what's now TD Cowan, my legacy firm, Cowan and Company, Cowan. We were focused on uh, the areas where balance sheet was less relevant, the types of clients where, particularly now from a banking standpoint, where um, decisions were being made on who their advisor might be that was independent of whether you had the tools of a large balance sheet because we were an independent investment bank. And so our skill set was in uh, all forms of M&A discussions, raising capital, both in the private markets and then in public equity. But we didn't have the ability to participate in, for example, the leverage loan market and be involved with larger LBOs. We didn't have an investment-grade debt offering because, again, that at this point is almost exclusively the province of balance sheet banks. We couldn't provide solutions for risk management around uh, foreign exchange, interest rate risk, et cetera. We now can deliver those in an integrated fashion uh, for the moment by bringing in our partners from uh, TD Securities America and over time as we move towards an integrated framework, delivering that seamlessly for our clients. I'd say the, the flip side is true for historical TD clients. You know, the, in the growth of the America's business for, for, for TD, they leaned into their historical strengths uh, which often were not in the same sectors as us. So TD um, growing out of their Canadian roots, very strong in asset-heavy areas, natural resources for one, areas like the communications infrastructure space, 
um, you know, real estate, et cetera. So their initial growth into the U.S. was in those areas. And they started with balance sheet relationships, extended it first and foremost into investment-grade debt, some of the risk management tools. And now with the Cowan acquisition, meaningfully by delivering a full-service equities platform, equity capital, M&A, we now can deliver to the TD clients a much broader um, toolkit as well. So I think for all of our clients, um, what we now can bring is a full panoply of, of, of solutions. I don't like to say products because I don't think of these elements as, as products. Rather, it's a toolkit so that when we work with a client and understand what their opportunities are and their challenges, we can deliver to them whatever the, the right solution suite might be. So I think that's a, an exciting time for us, um, certainly with our, as I say, our corporate and private investment clients, private equity, venture, et cetera. And obviously at an important time for the markets and as well as for many of these companies, obviously those additional capabilities are obviously hopefully going to be well served. I think the other piece, and this is more about just insight. One of the things that over, unfortunately, too many years that you and I worked together not because I didn't like working with you, but we've just been working for so many years. You know, again, here in my experience with uh, TD Cowan and now TD Securities, it's not always about what transactions you can or can't do. It's the insights that you get from your partners. And so even just in the last 10 days with the volatility in the market, being able to be a participant in calls where we share what we're seeing in the FX market, what we're seeing in investment grade credit, what's happening on the short end, what's happening in bank equities, what's happening in tech names. It allows us to have a richer sense of where the depth of the market is, what market participants are saying. We can then deliver that to our long-only clients on the investing side, deliver it to our hedge fund clients, but then interpret that information for our banking clients. That richness of information goes up geometrically. Every time you add another tool, you know, in terms of uh, area of trading capability, you have more insight um, for, for them. And so I'd argue that uh, it, it really is exciting to be in a position to hold people's hands through this period. And I'd also say that one thing that's clear from other periods of challenges we've gone through, whether it be more recently the events of March and April of 20, when the pandemic set in, or if we look to you know, the events of 2016, when the leveraged finance market shuttered for a significant period, we go back to the, you know, the financial crisis, we go back to the dot-com bubble. As quickly as these things come on, um, on the flip side, as they start to repair, animal spirits kick in again, and the opportunity to finance is there, et cetera. I don't know how this will play out. You might have a different view than me, but this very well could continue to get worse and we can see that what just happened was, as people refer to the Bear Stearns moment, and it could be three, four, six months down the road, and we get to an even worse moment. Or we could see that the events uh, of the central bankers around the world, the recognition of the challenges with Credit Suisse and the activities of, of, of you know, what's occurred in Switzerland, this might be what forms the bottom. Uh, and we see that more soon than we, we anticipated, investment grade debt deals start getting done again, high yield deals get done again, equity deals start coming too, et cetera. I don't have a crystal ball. What I know is that, and this is what, we, what all of our bankers are, are hopefully doing, is staying close to our clients, 
listening to their fears and their and their concerns, um, providing advice on how to navigate it, and then being there to hold their hands and hopefully um, you know execute for them when the window is open for whatever they need to get done. I think it's been very helpful. I think Larry, in terms of you providing some interesting insights and advice. And let's hope for less interesting times to turn around the markets and stabilize the markets in the near term. But uh, for now, I think it's good that you've given people to put some things in their toolkit as we kind of weather what's the current environment. So thank you for the time today, Larry. I'll let you uh, close it out for us today. Well, thank you, David, for participating in in these conversations with us. We always appreciate it. And uh, once again, thank you to our listeners for joining us and look forward to our next conversation. Thanks again. Thanks for joining us. Stay tuned for the next episode of Cowan Insights.